Amen. Take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're grateful for all of you guys being with us this morning. You know, two weeks ago in our message, we kind of talked about praying a prayer of examination. Search me, O Lord. Show me. Last week, we kind of prayed a prayer of availability. You know, here I am, God. Send me. And in that message, we talked about the fact that God oftentimes has a calling on the life of believers. Now, sometimes it might be something small, like a conversation you have. God may be prompting you to say a word, give an invitation, uh, uh, you know, um, present the gospel, whatever it is. And then in small ways, God prompts us and he leads us. But then maybe in a big way, God may be calling you to be a missionary on the backside of Africa and live without a toilet for the next year. Uh, it, it may be God's calling you to the ministry or to serve in some way. But this morning, what I want to talk about, we're going to talk about it for a couple of weeks. I want to talk about this idea, though, when we're talking about the calling of God on our life, that there's some general callings that God has on the life of every believer, every man, woman, boy, and girl who claims the name of Christ is their Lord and Savior, God's got a calling on our lives. And the one that I want to talk about this morning is this, it's behind this idea of compassion, being compassionate and serving others. That's ultimately what compassion is all about, getting outside of yourself and being moved to act on behalf of others. Now, and I'm doing this, our sermon title this morning is Greatness, and I'm doing it under that umbrella of greatness. Let me ask you a question really quick. How many, no, I don't want, I'm not going to ask you. I'm afraid you'd raise your hand. Not many of us probably, when we think about ourselves, think of ourselves as being great, right? I'm so great, right? Unless you're one of those people that looks in the mirror and sings, how great thou art, you probably don't think of yourself in that way. And what, but what I want to talk about is there's a difference between doing great things and being great. There's some people that are pretty small that have done big things, right? And they're pretty big people that do the small things consistently and faithfully. Look at this next slide. There's a difference between doing great and being great. And what we want to do is be great. We want the kind of greatness that God uh, calls great. And that's what we want to be. So we're going to study this story. And by the way, with greatness comes compassion. Compassion, that's kind of a key word for us. Because ultimately, greatness in action is compassion. But what the story we're going to study this morning is probably one of the most well-known stories that Jesus gave. The Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, right? We've, you've heard those many, many times. He's one of the greatest men in the Bible, but we don't even know his name. He's referred to as the Good, we call him the Good Samaritan. And so it begins when this lawyer comes to Jesus, and he's asking Jesus a question, but he doesn't really have good intentions, okay? Look at Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25. We'll start there. It says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Can you imagine that? Isn't that how arrogant people are? This guy thinks he's about to win a Bible trivia contest against Jesus. And so he says, behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Right? And that's kind of a ridiculous question. Uh, you can't do anything to inherit anything. You just got to wait for somebody to die. Amen. But it's question. It's actually a good question uh, because everybody uh, would want to know the answer to this question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And as a matter of fact, in that day, there was a great debate going on between the Pharisees themselves, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, as far as what does it take to go to heaven? What does it take to inherit eternal life? They didn't disagree. Uh, they didn't agree on these things. So this is kind of a hot topic debate issue in their day. 
And so how do you make sure that you're headed to the right place? Now, one of the things that kind of gets on my nerves, I'm not going to lie, not when Jesus does it, but I don't like it when people do it to me. Have you ever asked somebody a question and they answer your question with a question? You know what I'm saying? Don't I get on your nerves a little bit? Right? You ask them a question, hey, what about this? They say, well, what about this? Right? Jesus does that all the time. But he, he uses this method of a, re, returning a question with a question to get down to the root of why you're even asking the question to begin with. So, Jesus, what must we do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26. He says, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? He says, what does the Bible say? That's basically what he's saying. Right? And there's a good reason why Jesus did that. If you want to know what it takes to inherit eternal life, it's a good idea to look and see what God has said about it and what he has said in his word. So the lawyer then replies to the question with a really good answer. Okay, let's give him credit. Good answer, okay? He's, he never missed a Sunday of Sunday school. Look at verse 27. He answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your... Matter of fact, say that, say that verse with me. We'll start with the you on the count of three. One, two... Three, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. By the way, I find it interesting that it includes the mind in that, that you love the Lord your God with all of your mind. We're convinced that we can do things that are contrary to the will and the, and, uh, the moral law of God with our minds, and somehow it doesn't pollute the rest of it. It's just not true. But that's a wonderful answer. So far, so good. Look at verse 28. Jesus says, gold star, A plus, 100. You have answered rightly, do this, and you will live, right? So the guy's feeling pretty good. But yet again, this isn't, he doesn't want the answer. He wants to corner Jesus, right, and make Jesus look bad. And so look at verse 29. Wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And when he's asking that question, who's my neighbor, what is he really asking? Who's not my neighbor? Right, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, well, who is it that I don't have to love? Who is it that I can mistreat? Who is it that I can ignore? Who is it that I can view as less than worthy of me loving them? That's what he's asking. And so Jesus takes this poor guy's statement, and he gives the most incredible Bible lesson that's ever been given. Look in your Bible, Luke chapter 10 and verse number 30. Here's what Jesus said. He said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Right? You can still go down the Jericho Road today. It's 17 miles between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's a treacherous path. You got cliffs on one side, barrens. It just, it's a really rough area even today. So this is a place where gangs would jump out and try, they'd attack travelers and rob them and street, uh, strip them down and leave them half dead. And that reminds me, if you happen to get on... Uh, watch TV or get on your computer and you see a video of a bunch of guys beating somebody up, robbing somebody, mistreating somebody, and you think to yourself, what's wrong with this world? The same thing that was wrong with the world all the way back 2,000 years ago. Sin. Sin. Same thing. But there's one thing that this story tells us as Jesus introduces these three characters to us and reveals some shocking truths that his audience there were completely surprised about. Look at this next slide. Real greatness, the greatness that comes from God, requires compassion. Compassion almost always requires action, right? Any compassion that doesn't get followed up with action is something less than compassion. There's things you can have compassion about that you can't do anything about. And the truth is, you can't help everybody. But some of us use that excuse of, I can't help anybody, so we don't help anybody. Because I can't help everybody, I'm not going to help anybody. 
Because I can't give to everything, I'm going to give to nothing. Because I can't serve everybody, I end up serving nobody. True greatness requires compassion. Compassion almost always comes, real compassion comes with action. I mean, just imagine, you know the story, this guy's going to be on the side of the road and he's going to be ignored. Just imagine that we leave here this morning and you're out there, you're, you're, you'll leave before me because that's what happens. You'll leave before me and you break down on the side of the road and I'm on my way home with my family. I got mama, mama baby and Marcus baby and Amber baby in the truck with me and I see that you're broke down and I'm like, mmm, mmm. Well, I got some chicken, and I'm going home, right? I, I can't stop and help you. I'm just going home because I care more about my fried chicken than I do for you. Now, is that really compassion? I mean, I can feel bad. Sorry about your luck, but it's not really compassion. Compassion almost always requires action. Now, as we go through this story, also, I don't want you to view this practically as if Jesus is saying that you're not a good Christian if you don't stop every time somebody's on the side of the road needing assistance. Sometimes you're not a smart Christian if you stop every time somebody's on the side of the road needing assistance. God has given you sanctified common sense. That's not the overarching theme of the story. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all. But he's telling us if we really care, usually we'll end up doing something about it. And there was only one person in the story that was really a great person. So what I did, I'm asking three, in your notes, I'm asking three questions. And I want you to take some notes and write this down. We talk about greatness, compassion, and serving. Number one, ask yourself, are you too busy to serve? Am I too busy to serve? As a pastor, I hear that all the time. Luke chapter 10, verse 31, look at it. It says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, the, the temple in Jerusalem uh, uh, was served by three classes of people, okay? Almost like church. There was the, the priest. Let's think of the priest this morning as the senior pastor. Okay, there was the priest, there was the Levites. The Levites, you would think of them as the staff of the church. Scott, right? Scott Diffie. You would think of Scott when you think about Levites. And then there were the lay people that performed other functions and did other jobs as well, and, and the church kind of kept everything going. So here's this priest, here's this uh, pastor, if you will, and he's uh, heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you, if, you th if you could imagine anybody that would stop, you would think the pastor would stop, right? Surely they practice what you preach. You would think that the high priest would stop. He, he just left church. And here's this guy. Surely he would stop. Now, for one thing, I want you to get the picture right. This guy probably isn't walking, by the way. 17 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. As a priest, he's probably riding a donkey. More than likely, he has transportation. So if you're in that day, you would know that. You would see that. Anybody listening to the story would think that this rich priest very easily could have picked this man up on his donkey and given him some help. Now, why didn't he help? Well, there's a couple of reasons, practical reasons, probably, why he wouldn't help. Uh, the man looked, Scripture says, half dead, right? He looked like he was beaten to death. And so maybe when the priest got there, he looked dead. Now, if the priest was to touch a dead man, if the priest was to touch a dead body, as far as the Jewish religion, he would have been considered unclean, unclean. So if he would have touched the guy, the guy was dead, right? Unclean. It's like, guys, it's like those girls when you're in kindergarten, they had the cooties, right? Well, the priest would have the cooties and, and he couldn't take a cootie shot. Why do you have to? They only gave cootie shots in Jerusalem. Okay, this is terrible. Okay, I'm moving on. So he'd have to go all the way back to Jerusalem to go through the purification process, and it would take a whole week if he just touched this guy and he ended up being dead. And who's got time for that? He didn't want to do that. 
right? And plus, he's got all of his priestly duties. He's a very important man, after all. And he's got all his priestly duties waiting for him in Jericho. And so, in other words, on his to-do list, it did not include stopping and helping what may be a dead man that could actually ruin his whole week. This priest looked at this man, looked at his calendar, and he decided that his calendar, perhaps, was more important than this man. Write this down. One of the greatest enemies to greatness, being great the way that God sees great, is busyness. We're just too busy. We're too busy. You get so preoccupied with your own priorities that you don't think that you've got time to serve anybody else. The biggest problem with the priest is he could have done something, right? He could have helped in some way. Or done. There's really no excuse. I mean, he could have thrown the guy on his donkey and went for help. I mean, it's our version of calling 911. That's the least that you could do, but he didn't do anything. And too many of us are like that. We don't want to be bothered. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be thrown off track. We've got our own agenda and our own thing. We want to make sure that priority number one is number one. We need to learn that busyness or our calendar can keep us from greatness. Look at this next slide. What good does it do to get things done when we get all the wrong things done? I mean, some of us, we pride ourselves on our organizational skills and our ability to work longer hours, work harder, be more intense than anybody else and stay busy, busy, busy. But the truth is, busyness does not equate to holiness. And God has called us to holiness and not necessarily busyness. And some of us, we need to recognize we're filling our calendar with things that don't matter and we're missing all the things that actually do. What good does it do to get things done when we get the wrong things done? Am I just too busy to serve? Number two, write this down. Some of us, am I too good to serve? Am I too good to serve? I'm just too good. I shared this story in the first service. I remember uh, me and Alicia both, I was baptized as a boy. Alicia's baptized there as an adult. It took her longer because she's such a pagan. And uh, so, my, and so, I mean, it's just facts, y'all. And so, um, uh, and so uh, Grace Baptist Church, we both got baptized there. Now, I, th- I just think Grace Baptist Church is the best name that's ever been for a church. And so uh, and I, we were there as adults. We had our babies. We had uh, uh, Amber baby. Marcus baby was there. Marcus baby was the chubby little Buddha man back then. He was really cute. And um, uh, all, the, all the old ladies in church said, he's so healthy. Yeah, he's fat. And so, um, <laughs> and the Lord's stressing right out. He's so good looking. Anyway, and so um, and we were there. And I remember we were in Sunday school faithfully and all that. And they came to me and they said, hey, Marcus, you know, would you be willing to consider being a, an assistant Sunday school teacher for this age group right here, one of the adult classes? You know, and I was like, sure. I don't ask, I'm like, sure. And on the inside, I'm kind of freaking out because you know, that would have been one Bible class, let me tell you. And so, um, and I'm like, sure, I'll do it. You know, I'll say yes to anything. I love Jesus, serve the Lord. I will help teach this class. And then, but later on, when the nomination, when the, the, that process was done and they worked everything out i get the phone call us from the pastor he said hey marcus i want to let you know we fin- completed our the process and we're going to be presenting everything to the church and business meeting wednesday night and uh, we've got you down uh for and i'm thinking sunday school teacher right because i'm big time and uh, we've got you down for uh, uh building grounds now which is fine but in that church what building grounds meant was that you got to cut the grass once a month that's what it meant so Mr. Showtime, Mr. Big Time, assistant Sunday school teacher, somehow went from there all the way down to cutting the grass once a month, right? And I remember there for about, honestly, for about 30 seconds, I was offended. I was like, that's all y'all think I can do? I could teach that. I didn't know how I was going to teach that class. I had no clue. It would have been terrible. But I'd already elevated myself in my mind. And there for a moment, I'm being honest with you people, 
I thought I was too good to be the guy cutting the grass. Can I share with you that if I wasn't willing to cut the grass of that church, I had no business teaching the Word of God in that church? No business at all. Can I share with you that might have been why they didn't ask me to teach the class? I wasn't ready. Right? I've had uh, men in my ministry come to me and tell me they felt like God called them to preach, and the first thing I pointed them to was a mop and a broom. If you won't sweep the floor, you're not going to preach on it. Those are the facts. Am I too good to serve? Now, let's look at this guy, verse 32. Likewise, Scott Diffie, let's just call that guy Scott. Amen. Likewise, a Levite, again, think of this person like a, a staff member of a church. That's a good example. When he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, maybe this guy, he saw the priest. He said, the priest didn't stop. Why should I? If the priest is too good, so am I. I'm a busy man, right? The Levite thought, right? I don't need to take care of him if the priest isn't going to take care of him. If it's beneath the priest, it's beneath me. Now, keep in mind, what it was, he didn't want to get out of his comfort zone because he had his job, and he would do his job. His job was serving God. But listen, he didn't mind doing what he was paid to do, but I don't get paid for this. He didn't mind uh, doing you know, what was required to do. Oh, but this wasn't, this wasn't in my, uh, my contract when I signed up for this. All right, he didn't mind doing what he wanted to do, but this was different. This is something he didn't want to do. He didn't sign up for this, right? Oh, I serve God when I want to, how I want to, where I want to, when I want to, right? And maybe he was just afraid of blood. He's like that little girl in the Sunday school class, and they were doing the, 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 the Sunday school teacher told the little girl's class and, and told the little girl, said, you know, what would you do if you came across a man laying in a ditch, teeth busted in, head split wide open, blood everywhere. What would you do if you saw this man? And the little girl said, I'd probably throw up, amen? <laughs> I don't know, maybe this guy had some kind of issue. But the truth is, nobody will say it out loud. Many people think that they're too good to serve God in certain ways. Look at this next slide. You can always find a reason not to serve others, but your excuse is never going to be enough when it comes to God. Because if he's called you to do it, he's provided you with everything you need to do it. Because he's called you. And when he calls, we say, yes, sir, and we do it. He doesn't call without providing. When God calls, he provides everything that you need. So sometimes God calls, and we look around, and we pretend like we don't have what we need, and we use that as a reason. God sees it as an excuse, and it never goes. The Pew... Uh, research firm, they did a, a survey, a poll, and they found out that 50% of people that are church members, not just attenders, church members, 50% aren't interested in serving in any way. I'm using the church. When I talk about serving, are you too good to serve, too busy? I'm not talking about just in the church. I'm talking about in life. But within the church, 50% of the church, church members, 50% said they're not interested in serving in the church in any way at all, and don't ask them. What that tells me is 50% of y'all would have walked right by this guy and not looked twice. You would have went to the other side of the road, just like the priest, just like the Levite. Maybe it's out of your comfort zone to change diapers and spend time with young people and minister. Maybe it's out of your comfort to teach that Sunday school class or to cut that grass. Whatever it is, write this down. Our comfort can sometimes keep us from greatness. Greatness, how God defines greatness. Our comfort can sometimes keep us from doing what God has called us to do. For example, uh, you saw that. I hope you saw the information in your bulletin. You see the artistic renderings out there in the foyer. Grace Baptist Church is about to enter into a new exciting time in the life of the church. 
God has blessed our church abundantly, and we need to respond. And what we're going to be presenting to the church is a building program to meet the needs that Grace Baptist Church has now and to help us meet the needs that we're going to have in the future. But none of that will happen if we decide we'd rather be comfortable. If it's our comfort. If it's based on my comfort and me and mine, then it doesn't matter. I told the first service this this morning. We usually run between 130, around 130 in the first service, 100, 130 in the first service. And I told them in the first service this morning, and you, maybe you're here this morning and you're comfortable, but they're not in the second service, amen? Usually the second service, right, is running at capacity or beyond with people sitting in the foyer and things like that. And many times, and so we've got to do what we need to do to make sure that we make room for everybody that God is sending us. And also everything that we can do to help our students and our children in the future. And it's an awesome plan. I'll be out here. In the, if you have any questions, come see me after the service this morning. But what I'm saying is this. We can choose to be comfortable or we can choose to move forward and do what God has called us to do. Our comfort can sometimes keep us from greatness. And our, that, by the way, we're going to be talking about that next Sunday night at 6 p.m., Next Sunday night, November the 3rd, 6 p.m., the Long Range Vision team is going to be presenting uh, their proposal to the church to be voted on about the future of Grace Baptist Church. I want to encourage you to be here. If you're a member of the church right now, clear your schedule. Don't be too busy. Don't be too good. Be right here at Grace Baptist Church so that the church makes the decisions that affects its future. Don't let a minority, let's make sure that we have our people here to make these decisions for the church. Now, but this leads us, okay, so am I too busy? Am I too, right? Am I too, what's the other one? Too good? I was going to say comfortable. I knew that wasn't right. Am I, too, am I too busy, too good, too comfortable? Number three, write this down. Am I too blind? Am I too blind to serve? Both the priest and the Levite find a reason not to get involved. It's like that little boy, you know, told his mama, said, hey, he went to Sunday school, come back, and his mama said, what you, what, what'd you learn in Sunday school? He said, well, we learned the story of the Good Samaritan. He said, well, uh, what's the story of the Good Samaritan? And he said, well, uh, two preachers found a man lying in a ditch, but he was already robbed, so they left him alone. Amen? <laughs> Preacher joke, come on, help me out. All right, it, it didn't go in the first service neither. Verse 33, let's go. It says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Say compassion. That's the word. And now, see, we use the word, see, Samaritan and good goes together for us in 2019. When we say good, Samaritan, oh, that just sounds, Samaritans sound like wonderful people. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were mixed breed Jewish people. When the Assyrians had come in and invaded Israel during that time, and the people, many of the people uh, went into captivity, the, the uh, Samaritans were the one that intermarried and had relationships with the Assyrian people. They're called the Samaritans. And so the real Jewish people, the ones that didn't cave in and, and intermingle with the Assyrians, they hated the Samaritans because of who they were and who they represented. They considered them to be traitors. Much like a, uh, if a, when the Nazis invaded France, and if you were a French woman that took in with the Nazis while they were occupying, and then once the Nazis were driven out of France, the people didn't like you very much. Right? Why? Because you were taken in with the enemy. That's how they saw the Samaritans, this mixed-race people who had intermarried with the Assyrians. Right? Every morning when a Pharisee would get up, we're told that many times a Pharisee would pray, God, thank you that I haven't been born a woman, a Gentile, or a Samaritan. And so there were three people who passed this guy by, wounded, bleeding, 
half to death, and the Samaritan is the only one who stopped. He's the only one that didn't look at his calendar. He's the only one that didn't look at his comfort. And he was the only one who was blind to racism and bigotry and hatred. And he said, even though this man is a Jew, and if he could, right, if roles were reversed, he wouldn't help me, but I'm going to help him, even though he wouldn't help me. He's the only one who chose to be blind in the right way and to see the right things. It's a lot like this. I mean, we're so divided as a people. I mean, picture this right now. You're driving down the road, and there's a car broke down, and it looks safe, and you see a lady there and a guy there, and they obviously need some help. And so you pull up, and you stop, and you get out to help them. And you're walking up, and in the back of the vehicle, you see a, a window decal that says, uh, Bernie Sanders 2020. And you walk up to it, and you see that, and you go, nope. <laughs> Ask the government to help you. Hey, man, come on. Right? And you jump in your four F-150 four-wheel drive and you blow smoke out of there. Amen? Let you help yourself. Or, well, maybe you stop and you get out and you go walk up to that vehicle and you look up there and you see the window, dec- window decal and it says, Trump 2020. And you say, nope. And you turn around and you get into your little electric car and you go, <laughs> and you just get out of there. I just hold my coffee we're leaving all right sorry that's what i see soy all right i should have told the other version the roll tide vols i wouldn't all right listen guys what what is the greatest question that's ever been asked in the history of the world look at this next slide look at this next slide (laughs) what can i do to help I love it when people ask that question. What can I do to help? I told them in the first service, I wish a lot of times we have big events like the fall festival that's coming up Wednesday and like our Easter or vacation Bible school. Many times some of you will show up and you're just willing to help. You don't have a specific job and maybe and you might come up to me and you'll say, brother Marcus, what can I do to help? What I wish I could do is free, like tag you and freeze you. Freeze. And you're like, and I just leave you there, and then I go keep doing what I'm doing, and then when I need you, I come unfreeze you. Unfreeze, hey, go help Celeste over there. You know, do this thing, right? I love it when people come up, and they're what can I do to help? How can I help? What can I do? How can I help? It's the greatest question ever asked. And the Samaritan here, he sees this situation. He sees this man, and basically he asks himself, what can I do? Look at verse 34. It says, so he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. I mean, this guy went above and beyond. He probably wasn't carrying a first aid kit, right? He bandaged the man, probably tore his own robe to apply the bandages, gave him his own uh, the, the expensive oil and wine as medicine, took time out of his schedule to take this man to an inn, and then paid two days wages to see that this man was taken care of. It costs money sometimes to help people. It costs this man time. It could have cost him his life. This man is a Samaritan. What I'm telling you is this. Number one, he shouldn't even be going into a Jewish city. He was not welcome. Right? Samaritan's not welcome. And number two, he's risking his life because he shows up with a, with a half-dead Jew on the back of his donkey. How hard would it be for somebody to go, hey, look, look what that Samaritan did. Right? He's literally risking his life helping this man. It costs to serve. Sometimes it's risky to serve. Sometimes serving comes with a price. 
But the truth is it costs more if you don't. I hope you understand this, the blessing of giving. If anybody, I'm just telling you, if anybody comes up to you and they want to give you something, somebody's like, you know what, I want to give you this money, I want to bless you in this way, we always go, what, no, 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 right? And we're so embarrassed. Listen, don't do that. If somebody walks up and tries to give you something, you take it, and you bless the Lord. And if you want to see somebody do it, meet me after service, right? You come on through, give me something, I'm going to praise the Lord for it, okay? What happens is this. What does the Bible say? It's more blessed to... And so when we refuse to allow other people to help us, when we refuse to allow other people to give or whatever, as God has prompted them, called them, moved them, as God has called them to help us in some way, when we refuse to let them help, we're missing out on the blessing that God was sending to us. But we're also cutting their blessing short because they don't get to have that blessing because it's more blessed to give. And we're just cut short-circuiting the blessings of God all around. Allow people to bless you when God has called them to bless you. Don't look uh, at it the wrong way. You lose the blessings of God on your life. When you refuse to be compassionate, I do not believe that God is going to bless a heart that's not compassionate, a life that's not full of compassion, a life that's just refusing to help anybody else. All right, look at verse 36. The crowd is already about to faint because of everything that Jesus has said, so now he just he goes all in. He says, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Here's Jesus still asking questions. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and be likewise. See, Jesus, they could flip the tables again. Look at this next slide. See, the question wasn't, who's my neighbor? The question is, am I going to be a good neighbor? A good neighbor. We want to know the limit. We want to know who my neighbor, who do I have to care about? Who do I have to love? Who do I have to serve? How far does my compassion have to go? We want to know the limits. And Jesus is saying there isn't a limit. There isn't. Am I a good neighbor? Am I a good believer? God has called you to a life of service. It starts right there in your family, in your home, but it extends beyond that. And if you want to be great, really great, the only way to be great is what God calls greatness. And God says that the greatest are the least. The last will be first. You're going to have to change your mind about what greatness is. Look at this next line. Greatness is simply serving others. Who, how, when, where, why, and all of that. God will let you know. But greatness is serving others. Getting outside of me and focusing on others. If you're a believer, you're a follower in Christ, you're going to have to unpack the giftedness that God has given you and use that in service to Him by serving others others. That's what it means to be great. That's what it means to be compassionate. And that's what it means to truly care. Compassion almost always comes with action. Many times we say we care, but we don't act. And what happens is there's this, um, it's, it's, why you fall into this rhythm. Okay. I've noticed this in my life. If I start the day off being cranky, I have a cranky day. Does that make sense? Right, you get in a bad mood and you start complaining and then you complain and then blah, 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 and it just leads to the next thing. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and compassion works the same way. When you don't care, when you decide that you're not going to care about others, you're not going to serve others, you're not going to be compassionate, that means uh, tomorrow you're going to care less about things than you did today. And next week you're going to care less about people and things than you did the, the week before. Next year, you're going to care less about things and people in, in your life than you did before then. A, a life that lacks compassion becomes more and more or less compassionate every day. It's contagious. 
But the, on the, the flip side of that is, when I do have compassion, and my compassion does have action, and I'm not too good to, to serve, I'm not too busy to serve, I'm not, uh, I'm not too blind to serve, when I'm willing to be used by God, that locks me into a cycle where I care, and God op- opens up more love and more opportunities in my life. And that's where true greatness is fine, found. But some of us are locked in that vicious cycle of bitterness and complaining, and that causes us not to have any compassion, and it's this cycle in our life that you're going to have to break, and you can only break it with Christ's help. This is true in the life of believers and non-believers. Greatness is serving others. If it's only about us, it's a small world, but God has called us to a life of service. That's what greatness really is. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, and God, just this wonderful story that you've given us uh, about the Samaritan God. What an example for us to follow. Lord, I just uh, pray that your word will do its work in the heart and lives of your people. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. For those of you that are saved, those of you that are believers, the Holy Spirit confirms with your spirit, you know that you're a child of the King. You know that you're saved. Our application prayer for this morning, it's really kind of simple, right? And we would never say it out loud. We would never, uh, you know, acknowledge this necessarily, but let me ask you are, you, are you too busy to be compassionate? Do you sometimes you feel like you're too good? That's not my job, Lord. That's not what they pay me for. That's not why I'm here. Or do you sometimes find yourself too blind to be compassionate and to serve God? You kind of started seeing people the way that you want to see them. And not seeing them as who they are. Somebody that Jesus has died for. And so right now this morning, for all of, all of you that are saved, you know that you're a believer, you're a Christian. Could it be your prayer this morning? Simply this, God, show me when I'm too busy. Lord, show me when I'm starting to think too much of myself and I think I'm too good. Lord, show me when I'm being blind to the people that you're placing in my path so that I can make a difference in their life. Is that your prayer this morning? Slip your hand up all over the congregation. I'm going to pray for all of us. Father God, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this gift of another day. Lord, another invitation, another opportunity to get right with you. But Lord, we know that we're your children. But God, sometimes we're too busy. God, help us to rightly schedule our lives and leave space leave time for you to move and to operate in the life of our family and in our church and just in our life Lord help us to never think that we're too good Lord remind us of who we are God remind us of who we were sinners saved by grace and Lord help us to Never be so blind to the worth and value of other men, women, boys, and girls. Lord, use us. Lord, may we serve you with a heart full of compassion. Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. For just a moment, those of you here this morning, man, maybe you know in your heart the reason why it really is about you. And, re- and just a moment ago when I talked about bitterness and, and, and anger and, and lack of compassion, you could kind of identify with that. Nobody, maybe nobody knows, but in your heart, in your life, you just recognize, man, there's this undercurrent of dissatisfaction going through your life. 
And it's really not about other people. And if you were to be completely honest, you kind of think other people are the problem. And God has you here this morning for a reason. So that you can be set free from your sin. God has called you to be free from sin and from self. See, you were born a sinner and you're a sinner by choice, but Christ has called you to freedom. Look up for just a second. Look at this verse, Galatians 5, 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. God is calling you to freedom. You cannot keep the perfect law of God on your own. You've told lies. You've taken things that don't belong to you. You've looked at people with lust. You're a lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterator at heart. And if you were to die on your own, you would absolutely be cast forever into hell. Because you're a slave to sin. Christ has called you to be free, man. But why? Not to use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, I'm too busy. I'm too good. I'm too blind. Not to use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, rather, so that you serve one another humbly in love. Could it be the reason why you know that you get no satisfaction, right? There's not a blessing on you when you help others and serve others. Could it be because you know that you haven't been set free? Christ sets us free so that we can humbly serve each other in love. And that's why he's offered us this freedom. You can't really do it. See, it won't matter how often you stop and help an old lady change her tire. It won't matter how many good things that you do. It won't matter how good of a person that you are. You have to be set free from sin and the law. The only way, the only way that happens is through Christ. You're not perfect. You don't measure up on your own. And the truth is, you're, you're not the Samaritan in this story. Jesus is the Samaritan in this story. You're the priest. You're the Levite. Jesus is the Samaritan. He's the one who comes along and picks you up and bandages your wounds and heals your wounds and takes care of you. Wait a minute. No, you're the guy in the ditch. It's even worse because you're completely helpless. And there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Sin has beat you half to death. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? Jesus wants to set you free. To come and pick you up out of the ditch and to give you exactly what you need. Have you trusted him? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. One more time. Let's briefly bow your head and close your eyes. Pray for those around you. Be respectful of those around you. You're here this morning and you know that you need to pray to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You need somebody to get you out of the ditch, man. And you know that you can't save yourself. And God has you here for this moment. And you know in your heart that Christ is calling you even now. Why don't you respond? Why don't you respond right now and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Listen, every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here right now, and you know that right now is the time. You're going to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm not going to call you out, guys. Listen, I'm not going to single you out. I will not embarrass you. I promise I will not embarrass you. But I want to pray with you. And it's just a active faith. You're here right now and you want to pray and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one's looking. Would you slip your hand up just for a second? God bless you. I see you. Who else? God bless you. I see you. God bless you. Listen, even if you didn't raise your hand just now, and those of you that did, you can pray a prayer like this. It's not the prayer. 
that you do in business with God, humbling yourself before God. The Bible is clear. It says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why don't you call on him like this? Why don't you say a prayer like this and simply just say, Father God, I'm a sinner. Just tell him, Lord, I sin. I do dirt. I do it on purpose. But God, I turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. Once and for all, save me, Jesus. All of you, I surrender all of me. Tell him. Say, Lord, I'm trusting your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. Save me, Jesus. Did you just pray that prayer? Were you sincere and honest with God? Listen, if you did, he just gave you his Holy Spirit. You've got resurrection power in your life, and you've become a child of the King. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've prayed that prayer sometime before, and you've never made that decision public. You need to do what Cheryl did this morning. You must follow through in biblical believers' baptism. So why don't you come this morning, we'll pray with you, rejoice with you, and schedule that time for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation, man. Listen, the order is I get saved and I get baptized. Once you come this morning, we'll help you correct that and we'll rejoice with you and celebrate. Our first step of obedience starts with obedience. Christ has called you to be baptized. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize Grace Baptist Church, this is your home church. This is where you're fed. This is where you worship. Why don't you come this morning and make it official? Put on the jersey. Be a part of the team right here at Grace Baptist Church. Serve right here at Grace. But whatever God is calling you to do this morning, I want to encourage you to take advantage of this invitation. If you need to do business with God, do business. If God is calling you to come to be baptized, come to be baptized. If God is calling you to come to be a part of the church, make it official. You come do that. Obedience begins with obedience. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You come. Don't wait. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art